0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Start a Puzzle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So commercial real estate's everywhere. You shop in it, you have an office in it, there's a lot of different forms of it and the entrepreneurship that goes around commercial real estate, it comes in many shapes and forms and there's a whole lot of different things and opportunities, literally opportunity zones that people work and operate in and we're gonna get into all of that today. I'm really excited for today's episode. Now, before we get too far, I wanna let everyone know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Lending Standards. The only secure online origination and underwriting platform solution for HUD, Fannie, Freddie, and bank multifamily lenders. Visit LendingStandard.com to learn more or click the link in the show notes. With me today, I've got Logan Freeman. And Logan is the founder and principal at FTW Investments. Go to FTW Investments. LLC.com. There's a link for that in the show notes too. So you can go down there. Lending Standard and you go to FCW and you learn all about these great companies. Now straight out of Kansas City, my hometown, Logan, welcome to Start a Puzzle.
1: Man, thanks for having me here. I've been following this, this show for quite some time and excited to, to be here and, and hopefully lend some, some good advice and some stories that people can relate to. I like that a lot. Well, let's start with the story of your backstory.
0: So, why don't you give us a little background about who you are and what brought you to what you're doing and
1: what you guys do? You get it. Yeah, my my whole story starts back in little old Jefferson City, Missouri. So many folks might not know, but it's the capital of our beautiful state here in Missouri. And you know, I grew up as an athlete, man. I mean, I grew up playing sports—basketball, baseball, football—you name it. Really identified. Uh, with that, but one thing that I want you guys to to hear and and take to to fruition here is is my mom worked two jobs uh, growing up to kind of really um, you know keep our our uh, family stable, and I'll, I'll touch on that here in a second. But when I was 14 years old, man, I was itching I was itching to get out in the workforce and make some money, and um, the only way I knew how to do it in mid mid Missouri. Uh, was was to go throw hay on the back of a trailer and uh, to really start on the farm, and so I did that. Uh, but there was a little catering business that was close to my house, and uh, somebody had told me that if you can get a letter from your high school to say, hey, um, you know, you can keep your grades up and and work, you can also get a job here. And so they were hiring like fourteen or fifteen year olds at the time, and so I started uh, at this catering business. I worked with you know work at after school. Uh, doing dishes, cleaning the floors, doing all of this stuff. And uh, I remember my personal finance uh, class in, in high school. I'm a Helias boy, so any Jeff City natives might know Helias. But we had a personal finance course, and I started a Roth IRA when I was, when wow. I was 15 years old because I thought that was what I needed to do to be successful. And uh, thankfully, I had the opportunity to, to play collegiate football at the University of Central Missouri in Warrensburg, not too far from uh, Kansas City and had a great career there, uh, was picked up as an undrafted free agent with the Oakland Raiders um, after, after college. And I was out there for, at, at camp um, you know, for a few weeks. I, my claim to fame was I beat, up, uh, you know, beat out a couple guys they drafted, which was awesome. But ultimately, I was cut from the NFL, and I just decided to go back and, and finish my master's degree. And so when I did, um, that was a real big decision point and, and changing uh, point in my life. And and I lost 100 pounds at the NFL Combine. I was 335 pounds. I lost all this weight. I got a job driving to Sweet Springs, Missouri, making 265 cold calls a day. I'd drive back and go to school and spend all Saturday in the library. But one thing that happened that changed my life, and my whole trajectory, and why I ended up here in Kansas City is my father – uh, battled dr- drugs and alcohol his whole life. And in that same six months, I, I lost my dad um, with his battle of, of drugs and alcohol. And so he passed away. And so I, I was, you know, no longer an athlete. I lost all of this weight. I'm, I'm moving to Kansas City to start my first job. And then my dad passes away. And so uh, thankfully, I had some mentors in my life that really pulled me up and, and put me on the right, uh, the right path. But during that period of time, I started reading this was when podcasts and John Lee Dumas and, the, and uh, you know, Lewis Howes were out there, uh, the only ones that you could really listen to. And so I started really listening to this stuff and, um, you know, putting the good things in my mind, uh, which landed me in Kansas City um, as a franchise consultant with Jimmy Johns. And, um, you know, I was the youngest franchise consultant they ever hired. So I basically had 25 stores here in northwest Arkansas and Des Moines. Um, I, I hit a glass ceiling early uh, in that career. I, I left there. I went to the startup world here in Kansas City. And that's where everything really started to change for me again. I met my wife from the Kauffman Foundation. She was running One Million Cups, the best man in my my wedding. And I joined a, a company with two people, you know, and, and was in this startup world for three years um, over in the startup village. Matt, you might you might know that right next to RFP 365 and and, and Rittman Doss. And we were all over there. Uh, In the startup world, which was pretty cool. And I left there, went to a bigger company, was fired 15 months later, started my uh, entrepreneurship journey in, in real estate as the head of acquisitions for a $50 million fund. I took that information and knowledge and experience to create my own company. Now we own about $130 million worth of real estate over four states, mostly in the multifamily space. But we also have office and shopping centers as well. So I know that was a long, um, you know, backstory, but I wanted to try to pull all those things out, man. The story is the story. I always
0: exactly. say that. So I mean, sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it's slow. I, get, I run into people all the time that come to our sweet and greet events or different stuff or sometimes here on the podcast and they're like, Matt, what's your story? I'm like, do you want small, medium or large? Right. Yeah. 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 How, so, long, I mean, how long do you sometimes want to sometimes you, And sometimes I just force you into one of those depending on what kind of mood I'm in. So that's a whole different subject. So CRE commercial real estate, meaning property that is used exclusively for business related purposes or to provide a workspace rather than as a living space, which would instead constitute residential real estate. So there's a big difference there. Now with, with CRE, we've got four different classes, office space, industrial use, multifamily rentals and retail. Now, Um, You know, before the show starts, I always talk to our guests for a few minutes and I have some understanding on this, Uh, not a master's level like you do. But for me, you know, way back in the day, a long time ago, I actually managed a chain of retail stores. Oh, wow. And and so I got very familiar as we expanded and getting into retail space. And how tricky that is. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it, and sure. you know, overall, like I mean, there's there's a you know build-outs and leases, and you know, if you're going to be in a mall, they want a portion of your revenue, and right. a, there's a whole lot of complexity. And then over the last 20 years, as well, you know, seeing this big shift, you know, like who goes to the mall now? And right. you know, and then obviously the pandemic has thrown a lot of office space use, including my own. Uh, you know, up in the air. So, you know, as of the current climate, and I don't like to timestamp episodes, but we're recording this on January 25th, 2022. So I say that because uh only, only reason I'm going to timestamp
1: it is as of like this moment,
0: out of those four, what's what's hot and what's not?
1: Yeah. And, I, and I'm happy to speak about this. I just got back from Los Angeles uh, at a real estate conference, and I could tell you what's hot and what's not and where my focus is, but multifamily is the, the hot button. Multifamily and industrial are absolutely the shining stars and, and where money and capital is pouring into for good reason. Um, but not even from gateway markets like San Francisco or New York City, even Chicago. It's really started to trickle into uh, the Midwest here, Kansas City, Des Moines, you know, Oklahoma City, Tulsa. All these tertiary markets are starting to really attract these people. So multifamily and industrial, by far the the the, the shining stars through the pandemic. And um, it's really uh, changed the way that we've looked at kind of investing in these properties because you know, no longer are the days where we can go buy a 70s vintage, you know, multifamily property, 150 units uh, for $55,000 a door here in Kansas City. That's up to about $90,000 a door where I'm thinking about selling the properties, you know, when I was buying back two or three years ago. And so um, it makes it really hard for this this word that you hear in the space a lot, value add. You're going to hear a lot of people talk about what's the value add Uh, For the real estate. Well, there's usually two components to that. You've got some sort of cosmetic upgrade that you can do to the property, right? Making it look nicer, adding amenities, things like that. And then you have an operational efficiency that you can bring to uh, the property through management and skill. What I will tell you um, and your listeners is the second component of that inflation, uh, which was another hot topic, obviously, at the real estate conference has really got our eyes looking at our expense line and saying, hey, there's not really a way that we're going to be able to cut expenses from this property. There are specific opportunities to do that. But when we think about the labor shortages and uh, trying to get people to to, to come to those types of jobs and and the increases in the wages, um, that's not going down. That's going up on the the revenue line. Thankfully, uh, up to this point in the multifamily space, and in the industrial space rents have been trending positively in that direction as well. So a little bit of an offset there, but the question becomes, and you know, how long is that going to uh, to continue? And so, um, you know, things that we're thinking about that propose uh, opportunities, right. Is, you know, Sam Zell is a guy that's been in this business for 45, 50 years, kind of the, the modern REIT guy created this, this whole system and bought mobile home parks, office multifamily back when nobody was touching these types of assets is, you know, Will office go away completely? That's the question in my mind. And, and I think the answer is no. I think it's changing. And I think there's hybrid workspaces that need to be adapted to that. Now, downtown high rises, I'm looking at my, my window here because I'm pretty close to downtown Kansas City. Um, you know, we're not really bullish on on doing those types of opportunities, but Um, Just like in the multifamily space, we saw a lot of people kind of flock to the suburbs during COVID-19 looking for more space, more green space, you know, walkability. Uh, Same thing's happening in the office. You have a flight to quality. And so people that want to be able to park, uh, they don't want to commute, um, you know, 30 minutes downtown. They maybe want to go to a suburban office. So there's specific opportunities. And what we always say is real estate's hyper local and you have to evaluate each type of, of those opportunities. The other shining stars, Matt. Self-storage has done very good, very recession resistant um, in that space. And retail shopping centers are now starting to uh, really attract a lot of of capital because it's chasing yield that you can't find in the the multifamily or industrial space. And so we're seeing a lot more competition in the retail space as well. And so that's kind of the pulse of the market. and, And I would say that was pretty in line with what I heard out in Los Angeles last week.
0: Yeah, I I find it pretty interesting that multifamily makes it into CRE because that seems like a form of residential. I get that apartments and, you know, duplexes and anything that contains multifamily is in there. I get the self-storage thing. I honestly hadn't even considered that. Um, you know, I've been having people tell me for 25 years, they're like, yeah, I want to get into the space. These are little miniature cash cows. So why why is multifamily? And once again, thanks to Lending Standard, because that's pretty much what they do is multifamily Absolutely. lending. So if you need a loan for a multifamily unit, that's like, you know, I've, I've, I know Andy Callenbach, the founder of Lending Standard pretty well. And And, you know, like there's efficiency for commercial lending, there's efficiency for regular home lending. There wasn't. For multifamily, so that right. was a, uh, you know a big a, a, you know a big problem that they're solving there. But what, why exactly is multifamily in a commercial space, and not just a variant of residential?
1: Well, I think that inside of multifamily, you can kind of think about this in different ways. You know, and I think about this from a lending standard. Um, not to play on word there, but when you think about the loans or the debt, which is the biggest component of the capital stack when you're doing these types of investments, the debt is going to be the largest portion of that. And when you're looking at residential, so one to four units, I still you know consider that to be residential units. Anything above that, typically you have to go get a commercial loan, either from a local regional bank or Freddie and Fannie or a life insurance company, that type of, of institution that's going to lend on that. And so in regards to the multifamily space, it's really started to shift. And I, I mean, mean by shift is you're seeing these huge complexes that not only just have apartment units now, but they have dog parks, they have dog washing uh, you know, stations, they've got gyms, they have business um, centers that you can go work out of if you need to. And so um, the size and the scale of these multifamily properties really have started to kind of uh, increase. And so You know, I don't see a lot of developments that are under 50 units. If you're going to go buy ground, you're going to develop that ground. You're trying to get as many units as you possibly can for scale, for construction, all of those different pieces of the puzzle. I think multifamily has come into the commercial real estate world um, for two reasons. One, obviously from the debt standpoint, but two, private institutions really weren't investing in commercial or in real estate, multifamily real estate um, the last you know, since the last 40 years is when they really started to pick up. So previous to that was was mostly the office buildings, the shopping centers, the uh, the retail, you know, shopping centers, the malls and those types of things. So I think you've, you tie it back to the capital that's coming into the project as well as the capital that's available for the debt. That's been a big driver to get multifamily kind of in the commercial real estate space. And then obviously we could talk about supply and demand as well
0: you know we, we were talking about lendingstandard.com and you know they're here in Kansas City a venture back company and you know it's no secret that the multifamily loan process can be def- difficult to manage and lending standard actually has a product they also own multifamilydebt.com and that's an intuitive online platform that can help take the pain out of the process of, of lending and borrowing by matching borrowers with lenders vying for their business, streamlining the application process and providing guidance from industry experts to help borrowers find the best options. So if you wanna be a commercial real estate entrepreneur, um, how important is it to lean on tools like multifamilydebt.com or wherever to get in? Because like, I don't think most people are just sitting on, are, are, are usually like $3 million flush and like, hey, you know, let's put this all into a, a commercial real estate venture. So, I mean, right. how do the, how, are, those, are those kind of modern tools shaping the the future of the marketplace when it comes to lending and just getting
1: into these places as an entrepreneur? Absolutely, and I'll I'll speak to this because I was having lunch yesterday with somebody that's very involved uh, with lending standard, um, may have even built their tech platform, and is an investor in that company. And we were talking about this this point specifically. You know, as technology continues to um, become more robust, um, you know, industries are adapting it at different times and in different ways, right? A commercial real estate has been, you know, one of those. Uh, kind of handshake businesses has been done one way for a long time. Uh, that's changing, and that's changing rapidly. And that's changing in regards to what Zillow's doing on the residential side, what other companies are doing in regards to the commercial real estate side, like Lending Standard and PropTech firms are popping up left and right to try to make this business uh, a little easier and more streamlined using technology. What I would say uh, in regards to the companies and the streamlining of the process is: is this? I mean. We have access now to more data in regards to making decisions about investments than we ever have before in the commercial real estate space. Think about CoStar, Yardi, RealPage, all of these companies that have data that's trying to make informed decisions. And then we have these, these technology companies that are helping us manage these assets better. So you have you know smart technology that you can now put on your apartment units. You've got security softwares that are are um, you know light years ahead of where they were previously. Now you're seeing in the lending world as well, which has been an antiquated process to get a uh, agency loan or a commercial real estate loan. At some point, you've had to know somebody, or you have to have done it before, or somebody make an intro for you, right? And so now you can literally go online and you can make your profile, and you can talk with a company like Lending Standard that can really help that process, um, you know, streamline, which has been. Great. You know, I think that we've we've worked with a few of those different companies um, in the space and and we really appreciate all of the streamlining of of the debt side of things, which, you know, has been. uh, And I'll tell you one pain point on that front is, you know, I haven't been through a loan we've done. I I don't know how many loans now, uh, but we haven't been through a loan where I haven't sent the same document 12 to 15 times throughout the process or like, why is this not on a portal? where it's uploaded and you can revisit that. And it's just, and I, I know Lending Standard is, is helping to fix those types of, of problems and streamlining that, but it is such a big component, the debt side of things in our business that you have to one, know how to, how to place the right debt and then have the relationships to actually do that. Commercializing that, making that available along with the other prop techs is making our business a lot easier, more intuitive. And now we're seeing blockchain enter, the, enter into this game as well, which is a whole nother conversation.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I've been, uh, you know, I at this point, I'm never shocked when I hear about market inefficiency because it's everywhere. But, you know, in conversations with Andy from Lending Standard, uh, he really brought to light how inefficient the loan process was. And like, you know, talking about like lenders uh, being 40 to 60K in labor into a loan. I'm like, wow. Right. Okay. So maybe I'll need to figure out how to use some technology because that sounds a little excessive. Cause in the end, like you were mentioned, like those forms and documents, all that is, is data, man. Like That's right. those are just fields that need it, that need characters in them. So it's some, it, it just always surprises me. And, and that, you know, certain industries uh, that I mean are mega, Don't like, why are we still on handshake deals and bullshit, right? Like arrangements, you know, it's like, wow. And he said, he confirmed the same thing. He was saying that, you know, so much of the loan process and, and that's where it makes it difficult for new entrepreneurs to enter the space. Cause in some cases, some dude knows another dude at the bank and they're like, Hey, cool. Here's a loan, you know? And then in some cases it's this just massive dog and pony show. Right. Kind of like you're talking about, like, why have I sent this 15 times? And honestly, nothing will make me feel a little crazier than that. You know, yeah, I guess it, the, def- the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But exactly. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, for all you lenders out there, stop calling me 10 seconds after I fill out the form. <laughs> like, I'm afraid to hit submit on your platform. <laughs> because I know I'm going to get spammed with phone calls for three days. Like I'll answer, but come on.
1: Yeah. Like at dinner time too. That
0: that drives me nuts, man. Like seriously, like, I mean, and now on the flip side, I do have to respect the hustle because anything that has like a 10 cent, like I think I could actually get a faster response from a lending platform after hitting submit than I might be able to get from nine one one during an emergency.
1: I I believe it. I believe it.
0: They'll put you on hold. They'll literally put you on hold. Nine one one. It's an emergency. Hank, can you hold? You're like, uh, no. Yeah, but yeah. But yeah so who knows? one of the things
1: that's, we, yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've we've watched and and seen happen is is some groups are open to adopting new technology. Obviously, we're a little bit younger in the space, so we kind of grew up with some of this. But I mean, I can speak to this, man. We grow our business. Online, I mean this this business now has been grown through LinkedIn, through podcasts, through connecting, you know, virtually via Zoom. And I think the folks that do adopt this this new technology and the way that we're doing business is are going to be the ones that shine through. And as owners uh, become younger and younger, that that I think that's going to shape the industry. But you really do have a lot of institutions and older. Generations that hold on to the real estate, but it's starting to trade hands, and I think that's going to have a big impact on the commercial real estate space. and And why I'm really bullish on trying to adopt this technology and uh, utilize it on a regular basis, Matt, because it's it's so important um, to keep on the the pulse of things. And if you don't, I mean, I, I really do believe that that uh, you know you're going to be able to go online not too long and say, you know, I've got some money I want to invest and um, be able to just, you know, invest that through uh, cryptocurrency or anything like that. Everything's going to be tied to the blockchain, which is going to allow for fractional ownership that you've never seen before and secondary liquidity that really helps investors out. And, you know, there's going to be people that are on the, the, the beginning of that uh, early adopters. And then there's going to be folks that are saying, no, I'm not going to do that. But it's really opening up to a cost of capital that's much lower and, and really has to be kind of taking into consideration with your business. So um, it's fun to be a part of it and uh, to try to adopt what makes sense.
0: So I have a note here that says, tell us a bit about your buyer's representation success system. That's all
1: I got. So I'm hoping you got something on the other side of that. Absolutely. So I, I mentioned to you pre-recording that you know we're real estate brokers as well and we own uh, real estate, but You know, when I got into the space, I had always been on the acquisition side. So always looking at um, how can I find good properties for either a fund I was working for or uh, for myself, never really representing sellers in that space. And what I saw was kind of a fragmented space in regards to 1031 exchanges. So I'll break that down uh, really quickly. So if you have a piece of property that you go and sell and you are looking to defer your capital gains tax, you can utilize a section of the IRS code called 1031 exchange to roll those proceeds into a new project. But there's a timeline attached to that. And the timeline is only 45 days to identify three properties. And so what happened was I was getting calls from all of these people that heard us on a podcast or something that said, look. I need help identifying properties and I need buyer representation because I've never done this before. And Marcus Milchap, one of the biggest brokerages in the the country, uh, don't even allow their brokers to represent buyers. You can only have listings. So it's just another one of those pieces of the industry that's been antiquated and most buyers are not represented, which is not good for a lot of first-time buyers. Say I inherited a property or I bought a property for my business. Now I sold it. Now I need to go find an investment opportunity. So what we put together was kind of a buyer's representation success system, which simply just is a service based kind of commercial real estate um, brokerage advisory that helps people understand what they're trying to accomplish, what knowledge, experience and time do they have, and then pairing them up with the right properties. And I've been able to do this in a couple different ways. Uh, One is just finding an active property for them to purchase and they own and manage themselves. The second is um, being able to put together what I call, not what I call, but what is called uh, tenancy and common projects. So this allows people to put multiple 1031 exchanges together and have one partner, usually, Manage the whole process so folks can be more passive through that and and lean on real commercial real estate operators. And the last is putting those, uh, you know, those tenancy and common projects alongside our regular syndication projects, which is just a uh, a really powerful medium. And so when a client comes in and says, I got a 1031 exchange, I don't just, I don't have the, you know, limitations to just say, here's five properties that you can identify. I can say, here's five different options for you. You can pick which one fits your. Um, your goals, and then we can go you know, solidify that. And we've been able to do that for over a hundred people and close to $400 million in transactions here in Kansas City. And I think there's a, a big need for a marketplace that connects buyers and sellers, especially of 1031 exchanges and helping them transact online. And so that's what we're building.
0: Yeah, and you know, that's uh, once again, not pretending to be an expert on the subject, but knowing enough to maybe be dangerous, uh, and I say dangerous, like dangerous to yourself, because there's a lot more complexity when it comes to a commercial real estate transaction. You know, right. you, a lot of people um, it will say kind of the hobbyist entrepreneur own a rental home or maybe a few of them. That's and, right. You know, and, and here's the thing. In most cases, those are a lot easier to populate. And um, I've known quite a few people over the years that have kind of gotten themselves upside down. Mm -hmm. in commercial real estate because it's a different kind transaction is a different kind of buyer. There's a whole lot of factors about, you know, when there's a lot of, there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages, but some of the advantages with commercial real estate is, you know, you can run into attractive leasing rates. It can be a hedge against the stock market. Uh, It could be a high yield source of income. If you get it right, it can also be a boat anchor. If you get it wrong, Uh, you get longer leasing contracts. So, you know, in the world, I'm primarily at this point in the world of tech, of tech, and we use the term sticky. Mm -hmm. So when you have a sticky product, that's something that once you get a user, it sticks with them for God knows how long, a long time. Uh, So with commercial real estate, you typically, you know, a residential lease might be a year, maybe two, you know, you don't really see homes leased and rented for that much longer, but most of the time with commercial, it's five or 10 years. And that's not only for the, per- the building owner, but, you know, you don't want to go in and build out a space, build a clientele, do a whole lot of other stuff, and then you're gone in two years. So longer lease contracts with tenants. And, you know, it offers, uh, in many cases, uh, a greater opportunity for capital appreciation if the buildings well-maintained and the areas come up. So, you know, so I think it's important what you're doing with the, like, sometimes you just need a guide and being able to show people, hey, you know, like, because what you think might be a good deal on commercial, if you're not experienced, might be the boat anchor that I'm mentioning. Now, one of the stated advantages of commercial real estate that I just mentioned is it being a hedge against the stock market. So when you think about that, like, what does that mean and why?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, there's a few different things here in regards to hedging against inflation with commercial real estate. The first being the debt that you're able to put on these projects. So obviously, if I can go lock in debt right now and inflation is running hot, and I can rock, lock in debt at three and a quarter to three point five percent and fixed for ten years, um, then I'm paying back today's dollars. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hedging against inflation because the money you know isn't going to be worth as much in theory, um, in 10 years. So that's the first one. The second one is being able to pass inflation off and through to your customer, right? And so a lot of these commercial leases will allow their, their, some of them are tied to uh, the CPI, some of them are not, but typically they have increases baked into those leases. On a multifamily standpoint, um, you have 12 month leases. And so you're able to turn those every single 12 months. And the inflation that you see in the in the, the Obviously, the economy passes through to the rental rate increases. We've seen that on the multifamily side as well. So those are the main pieces of, of infl- you know, inflation hedge with, with investing in this commercial real estate is making sure to lock in your debt for a long time and being able to make sure you're in real estate that you can <laughs> pass any increases that you're incurring over to your tenants. So for a triple net lease opportunity, obviously, you know, the, the tenants are, are required to pay increases to a certain extent. Uh, on property taxes, insurance, and, and other things on the building, just depending on the lease. And so if you can pass that through to your customer, you're actually not incurring that, but you have to, you know, you have to think through, can my customer continue to pay, um, you know, eight, 9% increases. That's, that's something you have to evaluate for each opportunity. But those are the ways that you can really hedge against kind of inflation with commercial real estate. And I mean, one of the things that I, I have an acronym, Matt, and I'll just share it, the five benefits of investing in real estate is the ideal investment. So it can create income if done right. Depreciation is a big reason a lot of folks get into this space. You have equity buildup, you have appreciation, obviously natural if you're in the right market, but you have forced appreciation opportunities. And then the power of leverage, you know, buying a, a million dollar property, I have to put 250 down, whatever it is, um, your buying power is, is obviously increased through leverage if done right as well. So all of those things come into consideration when you're thinking about investing in these types of opportunities.
0: You know, it was a slightly different subject here. I was having a conversation with someone recently and we were, you know, at one point, uh, you know, you the phrase buy 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 real estate or land, they're not making more of it. And I find that to be interesting because then the internet came out, yeah. <laughs> which was kind of making more land in some ways. You had these digital digital real estate and now right. the metaverse. Is uh, you know I'm just I'm fascinated with all the stuff that's going on with that and some of it I mean it's it's might be beyond my level of comprehension uh, as to what what drives it. I was bored the other day, so I had our creative department make me some designs, and I literally went through the whole process of creating an NFT, like a truly like a tokenized asset. And I did all of it. It's my Twitter profile now, if you want to yeah. check it out, which was, which was kind of interesting. Twitter has a beta program. They'll let you put that in. But I, I'm, I'm curious about how people in traditional real estate look at some of these trends. Because you mentioned like antiquated methods and whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to some really, really sophisticated and honestly wealthy people. Mm-hmm. That are asking me questions. They're like, what's this metaverse stuff or like they don't get it. And I'm curious what 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 the general comments, if any, are about that, because in some ways that is a very um, interesting space. Uh, It could implode or it could just be
1: completely insane. I don't know. Yeah. And, and this is something I'm very interested in as well, especially when I saw Snoop Dogg, you know, a lot next to Snoop Dogg's, you know, digital real estate sell for, what was it, Matt? Three hundred and fifty grand or something like that. I can't remember. Or more, man. Oh, yeah, more. more.
0: I mean, in some cases, like I'm watching like the, and this is a little different than Metaverse, but like the board, I'm fascinated with the board ape NFTs, which are like, Selling for like two million bucks, I'm like, dude, that's a JPEG, right? Exactly. Like, I, I can make a screenshot of that, upload it to my Twitter, and prove that I don't own it. I'm yeah. like, so how's
1: it? but but things are worth whatever people will pay for them. I mean, that's yeah. just that simple. And, until they're not willing to pay for them, right? And and so right. like, and then, right. I, and then it could be worth shit, kind of like a beanie baby. Exactly. And I think that's my stance on it. I would take kind of the Buffett and Munger stance on this is, you know, stay inside your circle of competency. I need to understand how these technologies are going to impact the way that we do business in regards to that. And I'm interested in operating businesses that, um, you know, serve these uh, types of markets. But uh, in regards to like NFTs, I've got a couple of buddies who have you know, actually, you know, created their own NFT and and sold it and and, and been really um, successful with that. I was at this real estate conference and this guy, you know, was talking to me about how you know he was a janitor and he got early in with one of these guys that was a tech guy and created this NFT. Now he has thirty million dollars worth of NFTs um, and he's looking to invest in commercial real estate. I asked, I had to ask him five times, "You did what? And you have yeah. what?" And he said, I mean, and, and so I don't it's not in my circle of competency necessarily understanding that, you know, I'm, I, I try to read about these things and try to understand them. But what we always talk about is I'm going to stay with things that have intrinsic value, meaning they have value regardless of what somebody is willing to pay for them. They have an income stream that's tied to them. So that's operating businesses. That's real estate if done right. You know, different types of things like that. That don't um, you know maybe go up and down with with um, you know a tweet from Elon Musk all of the time and so that's kind of my stance in regards to this. We have not uh, other than just uh, making our own internal uh, memes and NFTs uh, here uh, at the office and having some fun with it. Haven't really adopted that. I don't know how that would actually impact it. What I do know is that. Um, Fractionalizing real estate ownership through the blockchain is coming and is already happening. Real estate deals are being tokenized. I was out, you know, with, with a guy that did this on a, a huge shopping center um, recently and tokenized his real estate offering. So those types of things I'm very interested in understanding. I'm also under, uh, interested in understanding people who are uh, making this uh, this money in this space are now looking to more tangible assets that they can kind of offset some of those gains and those realized gains and creating uh, some other opportunities for them. So that'd be my stance, Matt.
0: Well, on some level, you probably have to sit back and you're like, like you mentioned the janitor, you're like, I was a janitor and now I own $30 million of this. Like there's, there's always a sense I've been, I've been, uh, you know, done stuff. I'm very well attuned with supply and demand and scarcity. I was a ticket broker for eight years. So yeah. like I'm very well, I'm, and I've also done a lot of work with uh, Urban Necessities, which is a sneaker resale shop out in Vegas. Sure. You, know, re, you know, you get, you were in sports suits, so you get it. You know, the whole sneaker culture is what it is. And yep. you know, what makes someone want to pay 12 grand for a pair of Yeezys? Right. The fact that they know that there were only 20 of those made and it was in a color style that only, that nobody else had. Has. that's right and, and another thing too is you people think they're like well you're crazy why would you buy that well 20 grand to someone with 20 million bucks is like a way different transaction it absolutely is. than someone that makes 40 grand a year so you know it's all it's all kind of relative and yeah and you know i don't know man like i mean i, I think you get to a certain point with money where you have enough of it and you're kind of like what else am i going to do with this yep. so whatever yeah. So it's a free market economy, man. That's that's how it goes. Now oh, exactly right. you know, speaking of of a free market economy and buying, selling things and making investments, you can get matched with commercial multifamily loan options in minutes. When you go to multifamilydebt.com, that is a subsidiary of lendingstandard.com who sponsors this episode. Thank you so much to Lending Standard. Thank you to Andy, who's been a guest on the show. They've been great stewards of not only entrepreneurship in Kansas City, but finding solutions for annoying problems that exist in the multifamily space. They'll streamline your loan. That's all you need to know. So go check it out. There's a link in the show notes for Lending Standard and for multifamily debt. uh, And they just simplify that commercial real estate. Mortgage process. Once again, multifamilydebt.com. Now, I like to end my episodes of the show, and I say my episodes because I'm, you know, Logan, I'm not the only host of this anymore. Right, once, right. What once started with me and Matt Watson is still myself and Matt Watson. Make sure you t- check out the 52 part series that we did slash are doing about how to start a tech company, which is as realistic as it could get because we're three months behind on that deliverable. And that's kind of the way it goes as an entrepreneur things always cost more and and uh, take longer now tune in weekly with Lauren Conaway Lawrence the founder of innovate her and just a pioneer with what she's doing so proud of Lauren and she's got a weekly show as does Andrew Morgans who is our specialist when it comes to Amazon and e-commerce lot of shows, five days a week, check them out. So I, mean, I mentioned the founders freestyle. I like to give all the founders that I talked to an opportunity to, to, to say anything that they may have left
1: out or highlight anything that was important. Any of it. What do you got for me, Logan? Here's what I've got. And I, I I've been studying this. I think that we are in the site. So cycles, right? Business cycles, debt cycles. There's all these different cycles. Ray Dalio is one of my idols when it comes to investing, not just his principles book, but the big debt crisis, his new book, the changing world order. Nobody knows China probably better than, than Ray does. And just because something has not happened in our lifetimes, does not mean that it won't happen in our lifetimes? And I think that if you look back for the past 500 years and study dynasties, Ray did this study. And it's very interesting to see kind of all of the money printing that we've had, all of kind of the internal and external disorder in regards to the United States and and other countries is kind of coming to a culmination in regards to kind of this big cycle that he outlines in his book. And um, you have to go deeper than the headlines. I get Articles sent to me daily from our investors, from other people. Logan, what did you see? Did you see this? What did you think about this? And you really have to go understand. As a marketer myself, they, those those headlines are getting you to open something up. I have started to study real, true data and tried to form my own opinions. And so, my best advice, my, my the way that I'd like to leave this is. With all of these new and different investing opportunities. The best investment you can make is in yourself and understanding what your circle of competency is and spend time operating in that space and understand history and where we're at currently. We don't know, nobody knows where we're going, but we better understand kind of where we're at. And that's Howard Marks, another one of my idols on the investing space. And I'll just, I'm not gonna rap or anything today. I don't have that kind of ability, but. Uh, Come on. It's kind of a, just a call to action um, in regards to investing in yourself and and really focus on being a productive individual, whatever that means for, for you.
0: Yeah. You know, this topic's interesting for me. I've uh, you know, I look back at my history as an entrepreneur. I was fortunate enough to own some rental homes on the good side of what we now call the housing bubble in yeah. 2008 and the profits i made off of those really kind of launched a lot of the stuff that sure. i went i went forward and did as far as you know real estate goes it hasn't really been my cup of tea because you know honestly I'm kind of I'm more of the riverboat gambler type and it doesn't always move as quickly right for me but that said you know I turned 47 this year so I'm getting old and I'm I'm relooking at it I'm real and and really like more so than trying to create my own expertise I'm <laughs> talking to people like you and other people about you know I find a lot of these deals you get a lot of people that kind of go in on them that's right rather than just one sole owner so you know I, I realized that I don't know necessarily possess the expertise, but I do possess the capital and the connections to do some other things. And then, you know, another thing I found interesting is, you know, our new office, which is in Kansas City, Kansas, we actually got incentives to move startup hustle here. That's Right. right. We're in a, we're in a building that was vacant for seven years and then startup hustle moved here and now it's full. Yeah. Why? Because you talk about value add. That's right there was some value add because look at all the content we create all the people that come in and out of the studio all these different things that go on and I didn't even know you were in Kansas City until I was about to hit record we should have had you come by here I know and I know yeah I know I know missed an opportunity there but uh, you know when it comes to commercial real estate I, it's I don't I don't see it going away I think that there's you mentioned like the little like the retail almost like the strip. Uh, there's, you know, some businesses just can't operate uh, only on Amazon or, or, or in a mall or whatever, but, you know, there's there's the little, those those buildings aren't expensive to build. There's not right. a whole lot to them. And, uh, you know, I can see how that comes back in vogue, um, you know, when it comes to a whole lot. Now it's, it's interesting because here, um, for the most part, the shopping mall seems dead. Now, when I'm in the Philippines, where my company has most of its employees that's where everyone wants to go like and I'm in Cebu City in the Philippines and they have two of the 15 largest malls in the world yep so you know it's always different and there's a lot of there's a lot to be considered with that i think that um you know you look at inflation and all this other stuff and I mean, there's a lot of people that bought uh, residential real estate uh, eight to ten years ago Mm -hmm. that are banking on that now. You know, I mean, I personally I I live in a in a pretty in demand part of town and, you know, uh, you know, eight years ago bought a house for 400 grand that's worth 700 grand now. Right. A lot of. You know, and it's like, you know, sometimes I see people talking, they're like, my house went up, my house went down. Like, who gives a shit until you're ready to sell it? That's exactly another right. Another thing too, is when your house goes up by a bunch, so does the next house you're going to buy. That's right. So, you know, it's all, it's all kind of relative. I, I do think that if you're smart about it, there's a lot of really great ways to lever yourself into things. Yep. Um, I've been on the good side and the bad side of leverage in my life. So be <laughs> careful with that is all I want to say. Um, just be smart about it. Uh, that's really what caused the, a lot of the problems in 2008 was lever on top of lever on top of lever on top of a whole lot of stuff. I love the the movie. Was it The Big Short? Yep. Um, you know, I, I just love that because it's a real introspective look on at, at the stupidity and the greed That's right. of a lot of markets. And, you know, you talk about things changing, and man, that was a lot, potentially a hell of a lot worse. Then, I mean, that literally almost folded an economy, which would have been pretty interesting, which which is what happened in the Great Depression, essentially. So there's a lot out there. And, you know, I I agree with you. I think that blockchain is an important part of future real estate. If anything, just from the ledger standpoint, it just makes things a lot easier rather than, you know, at one point there were literally like deeds at a county office. Absolutely. What happened if that burnt down?
1: You know, and a lot of
0: other stuff. And it's like just these records. And, you know, I hadn't really considered the, the fractional uh, ownership through blockchain. You got a really good point there. You know, yeah. like, can you own one percent of a building? And then the thing is, is one of the things I haven't liked about real estate entrepreneurship for myself is the lack of liquidity. Right. You know, so with fraction, with tokenized and fractional ownership of things, you know, you're seeing that with startups on a, on a level, too. And that's one of the things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's so I own uh, have invested one point five million dollars in in non-public companies or startups. Try to take that to a bank and get them to give a shit right now because it's not liquid. It's not liquid and there's no real street value. There's no standards around it. So I think I think the next decade is really gonna be a a revolutionary time for assets in general. Right. You know, like we were talking about things like NFTs and whatever, Mm -hmm. and like I still don't get that. I still don't get it, but it is what it is. Like, you know, things are worth what someone's willing to pay for it. That's always going to ebb and flow. Uh, if, you know, if you're, if you're a, a little more in the conservative, long play kind of person, then I think commercial or even residential is a good place to start. For entrepreneurship, and I know it was a little long wind. I normally don't go that deep with the with the freestyle at the end. I, but I think it. there's well, I think there's a lot to be said because I think that real estate offers entre, like quote entrepreneurship for a lot of people that aren't full time entrepreneurs. That's exactly so right. I think this is going to be a really popular episode just based, you know, like I mean, the title alone. You talk about commercial real estate entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to do this last fall. We had cancel a cancel and a cancel. Yep, it was sick had some issues, you know, and that. So this is actually part of, this is a delayed part of a 10-part series we did on real estate entrepreneurship. So make awesome. sure you go back and check out those other episodes. Logan, thanks for joining me, man. I'm going to catch up with you down the road. Yeah. Thanks
1: for having me. This
0: was great.